What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit RG help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike, I'm Brian Barrett. It has been a long week here in Patriot land after, of course, Bill Belichick and the Patriots parted ways. And of course, we now have Gerard Mayo as the next head coach of the Patriots. So, we're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to chat with three-time Super Bowl champ James White about what it was like to play for Bill, some of his greatest memories with Bill. Could James possibly be a coach in the near future in terms of Gerard Mayo's coaching staff and what he thinks of Gerard Mayo? We'll get into all that with James White. And just to let you guys know, the first part of the pod that you'll hear is our FanDuel TV show with James, which airs every Monday at 9 a.m., the local angle on FanDuel TV. So that's coming up next with James White. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now is three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. Of course, James, you won those Super Bowl rings when Bill Belichick was your coach. He's no longer the coach of the New England Patriots. It's been sort of a sad couple of days here in New England. Now the Patriots do have a new head coach in Gerard Mayo. But what was your initial reaction when you heard the news that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft were parting ways? I was honestly still surprised. I thought Bill will still be the head coach, at least for one more season. You know, let him get the you know, the top draft pick and, you know, maybe they bring in another GM, something along those lines. But I thought Bill would still be the head coach. But it seems like, you know, this was kind of set in place. You know, I've been seeing that they set this in Gerard's contract after he had some head coaching interviews as far as them not wanting, wanting him to leave the Patriots and him being the successor for Bill. So I think it's, the process probably got sped up a little bit because they had a tough year this season. But yeah, it's still still hard for me to see, you know, 
ever since me, you know, growing up, Bill Belichick's been the, the head coach in the New England Patriots. I got to play for him. So it's just different times. But there's a lot of, you know, great head coaches leaving the game of football. So the game's changing. Well, I want to ask you about some Bill memories in a second here. But last week, you're back at Gillette, and it's the final game of the season, which now is Bill Belichick's final game as the head coach of the Patriots. Of course, they ended up losing to the Jets. You're ringing the bell up in the lighthouse, which, I mean, I'm not the biggest heights guy, James, so I give you a lot of Me credit either. for going up there. <laughs> but when you were in the building like that, you, did you didn't have a feeling at that time that maybe something could happen? Did it feel different just because the stadium was empty? I mean, you didn't have any hunch of it then, did you? I mean... I still didn't think, you know, he would be parting ways with the Patriots. It definitely felt different, you know, within the stadium. You know, everybody got a lot of question marks. Everybody has a different opinion on, you know, what direction they want to see the team go, whether keeping Bill, firing Bill, trading Mag, keeping Mag, like all that sort of thing. So, you know, everybody has their own thought process of, you know, where the future or the organization should go. But it definitely was a, a weird, you know, like feeling in the stadium, even from, you know, like coaches that I know, like they're, uncertainty for them as well they don't know whether they'll be coaching there this for the rest of the year or next season or they or not or where they'll be coaching or for a different you know NFL team or college team whatever so it's a lot of question marks in the air it's never a great feeling as a player or a coach just having that you know uncertainty you know going forward whether you're going to be on football team you know going to next season it's Different different position the Patriots have you know have been in in quite some time, you know, over twenty years. So it's I know they they struggled you know in the past you know before Bill Belichick, but ever since he's been there, they won a lot of football games. And like I said, it's it's hard to sustain that much success for that long, which was truly impressive. I'm happy I was able to be a part of it, but I don't I don't see it being down for long. Well, speaking of that. Let's go back to 2014. You're drafted by the Patriots in what the fourth round. Yeah. So back then, do you get? Is it Bill that calls you? Is or is it somebody else in the personnel department? What was that day like? Was it Belichick on the other end of the phone? It's Kraft who you speak to first. Uh, Robert Kraft, like I'm Robert Kraft from New England. Like obviously, you see the the number pop up on your phone. Say like Foxborough, Massachusetts. Like, oh well, must be somebody from from the New England Patriots. <laughs> I'm Robert Kraft. You know, we're going to select you here. This is we're going to hand you over to Bill Belichick. And Bill says this few words like, "Congratulations! You know, don't don't go posting on or just saying like saying anything <laughs> like this." You get the you get the you get that right away. Like you, like we don't need you doing like all this. You know, get to meet you in a couple of weeks. That type of thing. So yeah, I mean, not not too much over excitement going on when, when you get that phone call. But you just know when you when you step into that building, it's about business. <laughs> Yeah, they had to call Gronk when Gronk was at the draft, when Gronk got drafted, because he's up there with his brothers, like, and they're wearing full football helmets going nuts on the stage. Bill had to count down Gronk. So at least you didn't have to deal with that, James, if you were celebrating. But so you get this call from the Patriots, you get drafted, as you said, it's Kraft and it's Bill Belichick. But then when you finally get to, what is it, rookie camp or whatever your first experience was, what was it like when you first... Because I got to imagine, like, if it were me, and obviously I, I never could play in the NFL like you, but this is the, at the time, you're going to a team that has the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest coach of all time. Like, what was the, what were those first moments like when you got there when Belichick was the coach? It's very surreal. I mean, you, like, obviously you see these guys on TV, you know, growing up when you're playing in college, and then you get drafted by a team like that. And we have Tom, we have Gronk, we have Darrell Reavers, Brandon Browner, you got all these Julian Edelman, all these guys who have had a lot of Chandler Jones who was balling, Rob Ninkovich, 
you know, Dante Hightower, you know, guys who I've watched, you know, from afar, but just never, you know, been that up close with those guys. You just step in the room. He's like, like, first, these dudes are a lot bigger than me. These dudes have already been playing at, you know, at a high level in the NFL. Like, you kind of want what they have, not like saying, like, I'm trying to steal, like, their shine, but, like, I want to have the success that these players have had individually and as a team. I just want to be a part of it. And you're, you're definitely, like I said, starstruck at first, but you see the work that they put in you know, on a day-to-day basis from coaches, staff, from players, like the preparation aspect. You just learn so much, and if you're able to soak things in and not let the moment be too big, I say you you become a better football player. Did you ever get chewed out by Bill? I mean, every, everybody has, 100%. At some point, I mean, I probably got chewed out le- much less than <laughs> other people, but everybody, everybody's everybody got it. But like my, one of my, I always forget to share this story. Like my, One of my first interactions with Bill, I actually came to like rookie minicamp and like all that stuff late because of like the graduation with Wisconsin. I couldn't come there very early or something. So I got there on like, the second day of rookie minicamp. And when I got there, I couldn't even practice the first day. So I was just like, out there you know, watching the running back drill, standing next to the Ives and all the other rookie running backs, the two other guys that were there. I'm watching the drill. Bill's over there watching it too. He's like, I had to wait to get a, a physical like later that day. He's like, there's nothing wrong with you getting the drill. Like, all right. And I just hop in the drill, like not warmed up or anything. Just like, all right, I guess it's just the way things go around here. It's like, I was just you know, trying to follow the rules, but I guess, <laughs> you know, you say go, I'm going. And that's like one of my so, <laughs> first interactions. <laughs> that's hilarious. So he knew that you didn't have the physical, but he, so I even he's like, you're okay, so just go in. <laughs> Nothing wrong with you. Just get in the drill. I'm like, hey, well, I guess I guess this is how I'm gonna start my Patriot career. You know, I don't need a physical. I mean, nothing was wrong with me, but trying to follow the orders of what they told me to do. I said I couldn't practice. I'm not I'm not stepping up. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's awesome. So how about when? Because obviously I remember after the 28 to three comeback against Atlanta, you. 14 receptions, you set the record, you had 20 points, which Jalen Hurts, unfortunately, last year tied your record. I wish Jalen Hurts didn't do that because they lost the game anyway, so I don't know why he would want that type of record. But you're tied for the most points in the history of the Super Bowl. And we've talked about it before. A lot of people thought that you should have been the MVP. They gave it to the Brady guy. But Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, he gave you a truck, right? Like after that Super Bowl, he gave you a truck. Did Bill say anything to you after that game? Because that's like one of the great performances that we've seen from a Patriot in Super Bowl history. Another funny moment with Bill. Like, yeah, like obviously everybody's on on the field. We're all celebrating. I mean, you just randomly bump into different people from the team at certain points, and then like I bump into Bill. Obviously, like we, we embrace each other and all that. He's like, like who would have thought you were you were inactive two years ago in the you know in the Super Bowl? Like, that's like one of the first things he says to me. It's like, yeah, who would have thought that? And now you know, obviously played a big part in this one. But he just you never know what's gonna come out of Bill's mouth. But he's a I say he's the ultimate motivator and great coach, man. He he's gonna demand the best out of you. Not everybody can handle the the type of coaching and the criticism things of that nature. But if he's coaching you hard, that means he knows. You know, you have a lot of potential and that he wants you to be better and he wants you to be great. So that's how I always, you know, tried to handle the coaching from Bill Belichick. Yeah, in 2014, that was Shane Vereen, yep. who ultimately you would take over for him after, I forget, who'd he sign with? The Giants, the Giants after yep. the Super Bowl season. And that was like LeGarrette Blunt and Shane Vereen that yep. season with the running backs. So that would have been, 14 was your rookie yep. year. It would I can't believe he would have been enacted. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great Super Bowl too, like the NFL films where... 
Edelman's yelling at everybody get to get off. off the field. They got to review it, right? That's that was your yeah, touchdown. Yeah. And they're yelling. He's he's yelling at everybody yeah. to get off the field, and then Bill Bill comes on the field, and he's like, he's like, they got to review it, and Belichick's like, they did. They did. It's over. It's <laughs> okay. It's over. Then, yeah, Edelman starts going nuts. I got to ask you about because this would have been your rookie season. Do you remember the Mona Lisa Vito press conference when Bill was talking about Deflategate? Like, was that a conversation in the locker room? Like, what is he talking about when he's referencing my cousin Vinny at a press conference? <laughs> I, I don't remember that exactly, but that that time in that locker room was just it was just very strange. Just like every like every day after that, this is like a a scrum in the locker room. They're asking like everybody questions. They were asking me questions. I'm like, I didn't play in the game. Like, what are you like? What are you asking me a question for? I have no idea. <laughs> you know. What has gone on, but like, but like a New York media market every single day in that locker room after that game, it was it was crazy. I mean, obviously everybody had their own thoughts and opinions on that situation, which had you know no variable on that game whatsoever. Ran the ball for like two hundred something yards. I don't think a couple psi or whatever the heck of <laughs> amount that was in a football right. made a difference in that one. But hey, there was always something trying to take down the 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 chance, man. <laughs> Yeah, that was such a weird time, too, because obviously we've all we had to read the Deflategate report, which was just an absolute <laughs> joke. And I, I remember, too, like just thinking back to that time. And it was it was incredible because remember, like Bill Nye came out and was talking about it. It's like Bill Nye, the science guy. I hadn't seen Bill Nye, the science guy since I was in like third grade. grade. Yeah. Remember when they used to like roll, roll those the TV on the, the wheels? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like Bill Nye, why? And then like I believe like you guys, the Patriots had like a study from Harvard done. Yeah. So it's like okay, which one are you gonna believe, the Harvard study <laughs> or, Bill, or Nye. Bill Nye? Like that that was just wild at that time. But how about so when you ultimately ended up retiring after the injury? What did what did Bill say to you then? Did I mean did, I'm sure he said something to you, but yeah, I mean you were you were there in Foxborough when you decided to retire, correct? Yeah, I mean. He's who I went to first to tell him that I that I planned on retiring and whatnot. And I just kind of told him I I wasn't quite feeling like myself. I was like I hadn't even put on pads or anything yet. I was just doing rehab on the side and everything. And after like a hard long week of workouts and everything, it was hard for me to walk. So I'm like I ain't even got tackled yet and all that stuff. So I can't even imagine you know lasting you know a full season. And for me, I never wanted to step on a field. People be like, oh, that dude needs to sit down. Like he's not like he's not right. Like that. I don't want to put like bad film out there or you know, have people telling me I think you need to, you know, shut it down, that type of thing. But for him, he, you know, he accepted that what I was saying and he's like, like you're probably right. And like he just appreciated everything that I had done and whatnot. And then they put together, you know, a retirement ceremony for me, which was awesome. Like they didn't necessarily have to do that. I'm not a person who really, you know, cares for like that type of thing, but it was cool, you know, for craft and Bill and the whole organization to orchestrate that thing within like a week or so or whatnot. So it was awesome to have that type of ceremony for me. And like I said, he he said his piece. You know, Kraft said his piece during during the the ceremony. You know, he took some took some jabs at me. Said you know my my combine stats weren't very flattering, which they weren't. I mean, I'm not a not a test guy, so you know. But that's just that's just the type of coach he was. Like I said, he I said he knows how he knows. You know, what's in you, what to, what to get out of you as a player, mentally and physically. All right, James, this is awesome, man. Going down memory lane <laughs> with Bill Belichick and the certainly the end of an era, hopefully the next era, Gerard Mayo can, if it's 25% of what the Bill Belichick <laughs> era was, it's going to be awesome for Patriots fans. <laughs> Welcome back into Off the Pike. 
James White is still with us. James, so we're going down memory lane with Bill Belichick. How about 2018? Because I believe that's the first year you were named a captain, right? Yeah. Like, what, does Bill say anything to you, or is he just sort of announced that in front of the team, like who the captains are? He announces it in front of the team, and like I said, there's definitely an honor. You know, a lot of great players coming through that organization. Not everybody gets to be a captain. I said, I'm I'm not the, the vocal person on the team. I'm more of the lead-by-example you know, that type of thing. I, like, I'll say things that things need to be said, but I'm not the vocal leader type. But just to be a part of the organization and get, you know, you know that accolade was definitely an honor for me, sitting in those meetings on on Friday mornings, going over our thoughts for, you know, the game plan or what the team needs to do, you know, that Friday as far as getting prepared for the game. I said, well, guys like Tom, Slade, Devin, Chung, you know, Hightower, David Andrews, you know, Deron Harmon, whoever it was, you know, from year to year, just being in that room is definitely an honor. And do you remember, like, because obviously 16, 17, 18-ish, really, I guess it picked up a little bit of steam after Jimmy Garoppolo ultimately got drafted. The same draft class as you, yep. right, 2014. But, like, 16, 17, 18, when there was some issues with the Guerrero thing, <laughs> he was traveling with the team, then he wasn't traveling with the team. I remember, too, in Tom versus Time, like Edelman's working out with them. It's like him, Amendola. I think Gronk might have been there, too. And Brady's like making fun of Edelman for like lifting. He's like, well, I'm a receiver. Like, I, I kind of have to lift. I can't, I, I can't just be doing band work like you to paraphrase what he's saying. But do you remember that? Like, how awkward of a situation was that when like Guerrero was traveling with the team? Then it's like, OK, we gave him a room. Now we're not giving him a room. It was just like, didn't he have like an office like way up at the top of Foxborough at one point? I mean, I don't know if he had like an office or anything, but I know, you know Alex was always in the building as Tom's guy. You know, Julian worked with him and a few of the guys, you know, worked with him, whether it was at the facility or at, you know, TB12 and whatnot. But it was definitely, you know, awkward because everybody kind of knew about like what was going on. Like it wasn't talked about like between them, like in front of us, but you could tell there was some sort of tension. Either it was between, you know, the, the training staff and Alex or Tom and Alex versus Bill and whatever, whatever. But I said Alex was still in there, you know, working with Tom the the entire time. That's, you know, what helped Tom prepare from a day-to-day basis. And, yeah, definitely definitely some weird, awkward, you know, situations going on when it came to that. But, yeah, I think it just came down to probably some guys, a lot more guys were starting to go to Alex. And, obviously, Alex has different theories than our training staff. And then it's, it's hard to <laughs> – you got a coach trying to get information from his, tra- his training staff, but guys are getting information from Alex and the training staff. Yeah, kind of conflict of opinion, you know, going on. <laughs> well, is that tough? Like, if, if for me, for you, like, you're an offensive player. Tom Brady's the quarterback. You have Bill <laughs> Belichick, the head coach. And it's like, okay, am I supposed to be working out with Alex or am I supposed to be doing with the coaching staff? Like, do guys have trouble? Like, this, like, am I supposed to work out with Alex? Am I not supposed to work out with Alex? Was it, was it, we, like, was it t- tough to decide? I mean, for me, I never, I never saw Alex at all. So I, I was never <laughs> okay. in that situation, but I'm sure. When it came down to it, guys are like, should I, should, should I listen to Alex? Should I listen to the training staff? You know, Bill wants it a certain way. It definitely, you know, adds some conflict, you know, in there. So I can see where, like, that gray area, <laughs> you know, what was going on, why it ruffled a little fle- little feathers. But, yeah, I was never put in that situation. But I'm sure when it came to receivers, I'm sure they got put in some of those awkward situations at some point. <laughs> it's It's amazing to think about that, too, because it's like, Obviously, Bill and Tom, they spoke very highly of each other. When Tom retired, Bill spoke very highly of Tom. And now Tom put out the Instagram post about Bill. But the fact that there was like that issue with 
Guerrero, and you guys are still winning Super Bowls. It's like amazing <laughs> that that was still going on during that time. All right, so I do want to ask you about the new era, which is Gerard Mayo. I saw you on Twitter. You said congrats, uh, congrats to Mayo. He definitely will be a great head coach. He was there as a player with you 14 and 15, right? Yeah. 14, I believe, he got injured that season. You guys made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah. That was like with a young Jamie Collins, a young Hightower. Dante Hightower. And then he came back in, what, 2019 when you were still on the team. That was his first year as an assistant coach, yeah. I believe. So what's your relationship with Mayo? And uh, you point out that you think he'll definitely be a great head coach. What sort of qualities stick out to you about Mayo? got to compete with him, you know, my first two years. And obviously I was the back, back, half, of, back half of his career. But very vocal, very loud, very energetic. But he's a guy <laughs> who can, you know, he can communicate with Every single person, you know, on the team, in the locker room, coaching staff, and he knows the game of football. That's one of the best traits that he had as a player. Just very smart, very knowledgeable. I said, and he's great with people. I think as a coach, you got to be great with people, especially, you know, in this day and age. Like the the kids that are coming in now are very different than, you know, it started to taper off probably the last three, four, five years. The, the kids that are coming into the NFL, like I said, they handle things a lot differently. And I think he's a guy who can embrace that. Like I said, he's, can communicate with a lot of different guys. And like, so he knows how to get guys going, whether it's, you know, him being loud and happy or whether it's him being loud and getting on people. I think he can find that, you know, that good common ground. And he's a, he's a younger guy still in his thirties, you know, like myself, I think he's the, a great, you know, guy for this job. Like I said, I'm sure he's been chomping at the bit for this one. I say he's a, he's a very good people person. I think that's a big part of, you know, having success in this, you know, era of football. Have you seen that clip that's going around with him and uh, Belichick where he's like, I like this Mayo kid. And, and uh, Randy, I think it's Randy Moss is saying like, oh, he's got three. He's got three trucks. Oh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's conservative. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's got three trucks. Yeah. <laughs> and Bill's like, why do you need three trucks? <laughs> Never know. First round money. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before we let you go, James, and. I got I to gotta ask you about this because I see on Twitter, somebody tweeted at you, you coming back as the RB coach. You had the thinking emoji. And then what's the other emoji? Kinda, like the kinda, magnifying kinda glass scoping emoji. It out. <laughs> yeah, scoping it out. Then you have Devin McCourty tweets at you. Let me know if you need me to break any news, bro. LOL. So, I mean, do you have news to break? Like, are you coming back as the running backs coach? Has May already reached out to you? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have any news to break. I I said even some, some reporters reached out to me about it. I said, like, I... I consider it for sure. I mean, I've always thought about being a coach. Obviously, I have to coach with the right coaching staff because I'm not all about being there till 11 o'clock midnight every night. But I, I said, I, I played the game you know, at a pretty high level. Like I feel like I'm a pretty smart football player that I can you know, obviously help guys you know, develop into being you know, versatile players, which I think is a big part of you know, a Patriot offense that we've played in for a very long time. So, yeah, they ever brought it up to me, I, I definitely consider it. I don't know if they already have their – you know, staff in place, which they very might might well have that, you know, if Gerard was going to be the head coach, that these certain people were going to be at these certain positions. So I don't know if that's a situation, but definitely something I would consider. But I have not got any, anybody reaching out to me at this point. <laughs> and it, it would be cool, though, right, like to come back at this point where – you're only a couple years yeah. removed. You played with some of the guys that are still on the team. I mean, it'd be pretty sweet to be Ramondre's yeah, position yeah, get him right. Too, right? I'll, be, like, I'll be on him, man. Make sure make sure my guy's in shape, making sure he's the most versatile back in the league. I'll make sure he's ready to go on a week-to-week -week basis. 
If you were the running back, uh, the running backs coach, would you talk shit to Barmore? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, hundred percent. I I said I I didn't talk shit when I was when I was playing. I always said I'll wait till I was done to talk my shit. So I I definitely talk a lot more shit as a coach for sure. <laughs> All right, well hey, keep us posted, man. If if you're gonna take if you get that job, let us know first so we can break the news here on off the pipe. For sure, I got you. <laughs> All right, that is three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. James, thanks so much for the time, and thanks for coming on throughout the season, man. We loved it. No problem. Thanks for having me all year. When it comes to the NFL playoffs, you've got to win one game at a time. But when you bet the NFL playoffs on FanDuel, one game can mean a lot of wins. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, has all your favorite bets, like the money line and the spread, plus all sorts of prop bets. All right, so I'm looking at the Bucks and the Eagles. No A.J. Brown for Philadelphia. So I'm going to take the Bucks on the money line at plus 132. I think there's just something wrong with that Eagles team right now, and it's going to be interesting to see if Bill Belichick, could he actually be the next Eagles head coach? But So I like that plus 132 on the money line for the Bucks. But if you want to really get frisky with this thing and you want to parlay something, you can take Bucks on the money line and parlay that with Mike Evans over 68 and a half receiving yards. And you can bring that up to plus 253. So that's another one to look at. Mike Evans over receiving yards and the Bucks on the money line plus 253. And right now, every day there's an NFL playoff game. FanDuel is giving all customers a no sweat same game parlay. That means when you combine all your bets for a chance at a bigger payday, you'll get bonus bets back if your SJP doesn't win. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike if you don't already have an account. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in president select states. Minimum three leg same game parlay required. Refund issued as non withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there with James White going down memory lane about his time with the Patriots. And hey, Maybe he's the next running backs coach at the New England Patriots with Gerard Mayo. That would be pretty cool if James White was back in the building coaching with Gerard Mayo. Although the only bad thing about that would be, from a purely selfish standpoint, we wouldn't have James on after Patriots games next season. So that'd be the only tough thing that if we had to, if James took that job or joined Mayo's staff in any capacity, that'd be the one tough thing about it is that James White would, we wouldn't have the post-game recap with James White. But hey, if he wants that gig, I hope he certainly gets it. Obviously, wicked smart guy. And very personable and somebody that, of course, has always been, all his teammates love James White. So that'd be cool if he joined Gerard Mayo's staff. So I did want, I did have some leftover thoughts from some of the stuff that trickled out over the weekend. So on Saturday, my buddy Andrew Callahan tweeted out that Schefter was on ESPN. This was during the pregame show for the NFL on Saturday. And he said that Schefter said this about the Pats GM hiring, quote, they're in no rush to hire a general manager. They might even wait until after the draft to hire a general manager. Then Phil Perry further noted, they are not expected to bring in a new general manager. It's anticipated by team sources that both Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf will remain with the Patriots and have prominent roles in personnel. Okay, so I tweeted out to Callahan's tweet, whoa, with like a bunch of question marks and exclamation marks like what the hell is going on they're not hiring a GM so what this feels like to me and with the reporting that Phil Perry did as well the crafts are just basically putting everything on Bill like in terms of blaming all the personnel issues on Bill Belichick because if it's Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf that are going to be sort of running things here especially with the draft coming up and 
this third pick being the most important pick in recent Patriots history, right? Like this is such an important pick for the future of the organization. And these are the two guys that are going to be deciding things when they have been working underneath Bill Belichick. So that tells you sort of what the Kraft's thought process is, is that the issue was Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick being rigid and who he wanted to take and who he didn't want to take and maybe not listening to other people within the organization. I just feel like that is really risky. Like, are we sure that Matt Groh is good? I mean, we went through it the other day, the 2022 draft. It felt like he had his fingerprints all over that draft when he's talking about it and talking about Tyquan Thornton, the speed and Cole Strange. Like, I just feel like this group right now, 2023 may turn out to be a great draft. We talked about that the other day with Nora Princiati, Christian Gonzalez, and you think about Keon White, and you think about Demario Douglas. That may be great, but there are a lot of misses here over the past five years. And for them to just think that, hey, if we remove Bill, this problem will be fixed, I just think that's a little bit crazy to me. I did also think Seth Wickersham and Wright Thompson, they had an article up at ESPN about sort of how this thing fell apart for the Patriots. And... Just some interesting nuggets I wanted to get to from that. So they get into something we knew about, that Bill wanted to trade Brady and move on in the middle part of the last decade, right? That's why he drafts Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round. And Bill actually presented Robert Kraft a study of quarterbacks in their mid-30s. This is stuff that we knew about, but this is an interesting thing to me. So we knew this was going on for a while, that Bill ultimately wanted to move on from Tom. Everybody knows that, right? So Kraft, after Tom won the Super Bowl in Tampa... Okay, remember when he, of course, beat the Chiefs his first year after leaving the Patriots. This is what Kraft said privately. This is from Wickersham and Wright Thompson's story. Quote, Bill told me Brady couldn't play anymore. And then he goes out and wins the fucking Super Bowl. Okay, so you have basically Kraft saying, okay, I'm going to trust Bill on this decision. We've gone over this a bunch of times, the Brady-Belichick situation in terms of Kraft backed Bill. And this is basically revealing that Kraft did back Bill when he said, Bill told me that Tom couldn't play anymore. But as I've said on multiple occasions, Kraft could have said, oh, Tom's going to stay here. We don't want, we, if you don't give him the Drew Brees deal, then you're going to be gone. But what Kraft did is he trusted Bill, uh, Bill Belichick in terms of his evaluation of Tom. But for them to now like leak it, like give this information to Wickersham and Wright Thompson that Kraft said that after Tom won the Super Bowl. To me, that's just like, from my perspective, you moved on from Bill. You parted ways from Bill. There's no reason to put out this nugget here about then he won the fucking Super Bowl. Like, I mean, come on. Like, what? you moved on from the guy. Like, he's gone. You don't have to leak this information out here after Bill's gone. And I, I'm everybody knows it was the wrong move, right? And look, maybe Tom would have never been successful here anymore because the roster was so bad. That's on Bill as well, right? Like, it worked out well for Tom. He enhanced his legacy and all that. But I just thought that was like, I felt like it's petty to put that information out there that this is what Kraft said to some, not from Wright Thompson and uh, from Seth Wickersham, a great reporting by them. I'm just saying from my perspective, for the Krafts to put that out there or somebody that knows the Krafts to put that information out there about Bill, I just think that's, that's over the top to me if you've already moved on from the coach. Like, why do you have to put that information out there? So everybody knows the Kraft was mad about that. So I don't know why you have to put that out. Okay, so anyway... Wickersham and Wright Thompson also added this. Jonathan Kraft told friends he wanted Belichick gone in late 2022. Midway through the season, Belichick described him as, quote, brutal, riding Belichick about his decision-making in the New England slump. Okay. So if you do go back to the press conference the other day where Bill is thanking 
Robert Kraft, he's thanking the players, he thanks the fans, he thanks the media. And I went back and watched this. So if I missed it, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure I, di I didn't. I never heard Jonathan Kraft. I heard Robert Kraft, I heard the fans, I heard the media, I heard the players, I never heard Jonathan Kraft. So obviously, that relationship was not the best between Jonathan Kraft and Bill Belichick. And I do think it's, a, it's to me, the thing that irked me about the report that Kraft, or the report that Tommy Curran had, that the Krafts had already made a decision to move on from Bill, it's good reporting by Curran. Like, this is not about Curran. Great reporting by Curran. You have that nugget, you put that out there. You report that, that the Patriots had decided after that game against the Colts that they were moving on from Bill. But this is a thing that I just cannot comprehend. Why would, why would they leak that to Kraft? And it feels like it's not Robert Kraft. It feels like it's Jonathan Kraft, right? I mean, if we're guessing here, like, who leaked that information? It feels like more something Jonathan Kraft would do than something Robert Kraft would do. But let's just point this out for a second. You just made, if you knew, like, okay, so that could be true, that they, they knew at that point, which obviously was true, but they knew that they were moving on from Kraft, right? Okay, I mean, moving on from Bill. Why make that a huge controversy? Right. Like after that, this story's all over the place to the point where then Bill puts out the thing where Bill leaks that. And then he actually said publicly at the end of the season that he had an extension on his contract. Right. That he had one more year left. Like if you were going to part ways with Belichick at the end of the season, why do you have to make it that much more difficult for him in the season? So to me, for them to leak that about Bill Belichick, to me, that's just unfair. And quite frankly, ungrateful for what he did for 20 years we've all been over i talked about it a million times how bad the drafts have been the issues they've had with the offensive personnel but for them them to leak this information out there to make it like oh bill belichick's on the hot seat the crafts have already made the decision to move on from him like that to me is another thing that i would say that was bush league that was bush league for them to put that out there and then like i said good good reporting by tommy Curran. tommy Curran's doing his job there but they should not be leaking that type of information. If you know you're moving on, why do you do that? Like, you have that much of a beef with Bill Belichick if you're Jonathan Kraft that you leak that out there? That, to me, is just ridiculous. Okay. Another thing I wanted to mention is, so this is about Mac Jones. So, in the article, Bill considered trading Mac prior to last season. Okay? That was reportedly overruled by the Krafts. This is according to Wickersham and Wright Thompson's article. According to Wickersham and Wright's sources, Robert Kraft told one person, I'm going to do what I need to get my quarterback right. Okay, so this is why, or excuse me, I'm going to do what I need to get my quarterback the right people. Okay, and remember, then they bring in Bill O'Brien. Okay, so this is what I point out about that. Belichick was right about moving on from Mac, right? Belichick did not believe Mac would play. Now you could argue the same to zappy but bill knew that bill saw it and he didn't think he could be a great player right or he didn't even want him to be his quarterback going back to last offseason he wouldn't even say he's the quarterback and apparently he was seeing what he could get in a trade for mac jones and the craft stepped in and they overruled that and they said hey we just need to get the right people in so they bring in bill o'brien and belichick agrees with eventually right remember right originally as callahan and doug kide reported they wanted to keep Matt Patricia, but eventually they come around to saying, hey, you know what? This is okay. We or Belichick that we can go with Bill O'Brien. But this is where I'm at with the crafts on this. The fact that they Bill didn't want him, they wanted him, so they're obviously upset about that. Their judgment was not great when it came to that, right? Because it felt like all they were trying to do was prove that Mac was the guy. 
So they're bringing in Bill O'Brien, and it felt like, by the way that this comes out here in this article, it feels like they really wanted Mac to work, and they almost, it felt like, wanted to prove Bill wrong that Mac could work. So I feel like their judgment was sort of cloudy on Mac Jones to the point that they viewed Mac higher because they weren't looking at him as closely as they should have been because they were just upset with Bill. So I feel like their judgment on Mac Jones was bad because of what had gone on with Belichick and Mac and that Belichick wanted to move on from Mac. So I felt like this is more about what they thought of Bill at the time rather than what they thought of Mac at the time, which I think was sort of unfortunate, right? All right, and then you had this, one Patriots assistant. The Kraft should be ashamed of themselves about the way they treated Belichick at the end of his run. This is from a Patriots assistant. Obviously, there's loyalty to Bill Belichick there, right? Like, naturally. But I agree with that assistant. Like, they shouldn't have been doing that stuff at the end. Like, they shouldn't have been leaking all this. They, like, the, the thing, like, going back to what I said earlier about the, the game after the Colts game, or the news after the Colts game, that should not have been leaked. I totally agree. You don't need, if you know you're firing the guy or parting ways with him, which is really firing him at the end of the season, why do you have to put that out there? Just let him coach the team the rest of the season. You know you're moving on. Why do you have to make it more difficult for him, right? And I know you can say, oh, Bill's a difficult guy to work with, right? But he's done a lot of great stuff for the organization. So I totally agree with that assistant. And I'm not saying it wasn't, I've said it multiple occasions, totally justifiable to move on from Bill. But leaking that stuff out there, to me, it's just over the top. Okay. Now, I will say this. I want Bill to win somewhere else badly now. Just like I wanted Tom to win somewhere else after they moved on from him. I want Bill to win. So that, I was thinking about this today. Uh, actually, one of my buddies texted me like, A.J. Brown's out. Um, maybe this Bill thing to the Eagles is actually, we talked to Nora Princiati about it too. Maybe there's something there. Because Nick Sirianni, it feels like at times he has lost his football team. If the Eagles lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are they moving on from Nick Sirianni? And is that the job? that Bill could now get, that to me is just fascinating. The one other thing I'd say is this. I do now, and look, I know that this has sort of been out there, but I kind of worry about Jonathan Kraft. Like all the power he wanted within the organization, or all the issues, I should say, that he had with Bill. And now I start to think about stuff like, for example, the fact that what we mentioned about the GM thing, that it's just like, oh, they're just going to have Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf run things. They're not concerned about bringing in a GM. Doesn't that feel like Jonathan Kraft wants his fingerprints like all over the team? So I am slightly worried about that. Maybe you guys think I'm crazy for that, but I am slightly worried about that. But I, I mean, I just can't wait to see where this whole thing ends up with Belichick. I am fascinated by that. Like this Monday night game has now become more interesting to me than it otherwise would be because of the Belichick angle. Not because I'm super excited to watch the Eagles who have stunk down the stretch of the season play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, what I'm interested in is the Bill Belichick dynamic. And if this means he ends up being the next head coach, of course, of the Philadelphia Eagles, that would be absolutely fascinating. Oh, one small note. I know they had to move this Buffalo-Pittsburgh game because of weather. So we don't have a game. We're recording this right now, Sunday morning at 1146. But I hate the fact there's not a one o'clock game, which I know you can't plan for that because of the fact that it's a weather situation. But Saturday, you had... Two games instead of, like, I hate the Monday night game. I, I don't like the Monday night game. And I know, like, ESPN pays a ton of money and all that. But I rather, I don't know. And I know Sunday, like I said, you can't avoid it. But I rather have three on Saturday than have the Monday night game. That's just me. I rather have three on Saturday because I, I hate, like, waiting for that 4.30 
time to actually kick off the first playoff game. I want a game at one, man. Like, let's go. It's Saturday. So anyway, I hate that. And the whole Peacock thing was a mess. Actually, funny story about the Peacock thing. So my dad texts me. He says, hey, how do I get Peacock? I'm like, dad, it's like an app. Like, it's like Apple TV or Netflix, right? You just have to download it. Go to the store, download it, right? So he then texts me back. He said, hey, so do I call DirecTV? I'm like, no, no, it's not DirecTV. You can't order it from DirecTV. It's a totally different thing. So anyway, I, th- I thought that was fine. I thought a lot of people were going to struggle with that. And I still I still thought it's unfair that the NFL puts that game on Peacock. Well, they have one other game on Peacock this year. And they know people are going to get it because they want to watch the NFL. But I thought it was, quite frankly, unfair to the fans. Like, it would make sense if it was on Amazon Prime because you watch every Thursday night game on Amazon Prime. But the fact that it's on Peacock, that was a joke to me. All right, coming up next, I do want to get to a quick note on the Celtics. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back into Off the Pike. It was a fun Saturday night, although we were mentioning earlier the Peacock, the Peacock game was not great. The Chiefs and Dolphins game was boring, but at least we had the Bruins finally winning a game after regulation, right? They had the shootout loss to the Avs on Monday, the OT loss to the Coyotes on Tuesday when Olmark went down. Now, good news there is he's day-to-day. is actually at morning skate on Saturday. And MRI came back clean there. So that's the good news. But they also lost to Vegas in overtime on Thursday against Bruce Cassidy and company. But then Saturday night, it was a change. Like they have all these games where they're losing after regulation. You had the McAvoy snipe to win the game in overtime. So you get the big win over St. Louis there. And now the Bees will play the Devils on Monday night. But finally, they win a game after regulation. So that was huge. Anyway, so that was awesome. That game was a lot of fun. And then the Celtics just beat the shit out of Ime and the Rockets, 145 to 113. And they're now 19 and 0 at home, people. 19 and 0. They can get to 20 and 0 at home on Wednesday against the terrible, terrible Spurs. So 20 and 0 is in sights right now. And I'm all in. I've told you about this multiple times. I'm all in on this home thing now, like the record. All right. So in that game, Tatum got run by CJ Washington, the official. He said that at some point throughout the course of the night, You've got to stand up for yourself. This is not an every game thing or an every night. Tonight, just kind of, I had to let him know how I felt. Okay, one thing I will say about this with Tatum is I like the fact that if you're going to get kicked out, you do it in a game that is already over. Like, that's fine with me. But I will say this about Tatum. He does really feel like the officials are always against him. And I'm not saying that he's not just, he's a star player. He can argue if he wants. But I don't know. I do feel like he argues more than most players. And sometimes he still has this problem going back to two years ago where he won't get back on defense because he's yelling with the officials. So at times I'm just like, the bigger picture here, man, calm down. And I worry about him and Porzingis at times that these technicals, we're going to get to the accumulation stage where they miss a playoff game or something. It's just like, guys, calm down. You don't always have to argue like that. So the one thing I will say, I'm glad he did it, like I said, in this blowout against the Rockets and not in a close competitive game. All right, before we get to Saturday night and email, I did want to mention this. So Thursday, because we didn't get to address this on the Friday pod because we talked about the Mayo news, of course, but the Celtics get run by Milwaukee 135 to 102. 
and Missoula pulls the starters at halftime, I thought, quite frankly, it was the right move. You're losing by 30, and you had just played overtime the previous night at home Wednesday against Minnesota. And obviously, Porzingis didn't play in that game, but why put Porzingis out there too, right? Like, just get everybody out of the game. So I thought that was the right move by Joe. And so look, the Celtics, they were playing a back-to-back. They have OT at home, and then they go to Milwaukee. Okay, and remember, the Bucs were off Tuesday and Wednesday. They had last played on Monday at home. So this was, I mean, I, I don't like to make excuses, but this is sort of a loss if you look at the schedule before the season. You're like, okay, that could be a schedule loss. And TNT never brought up like the rest thing. They just brought up like the Bucks defense and all that, nonetheless. But anyway, the TNT guys at halftime did, but Stan Van Gundy, Brian Anderson, I don't know why they weren't bringing this up. But anyway, the thing that I would point out is, and this is just the bigger thing, it's not just a Celtics thing, is the league made these rest rules where they wanted to be in a situation where guys, if they're playing in a nationally televised game, they're not sitting out, right? Like that was the issue that the league has had over the past couple of years. So they wanted to stop that. But this is what I would say to that. That game Thursday night should be a marquee game, right? That Those are the two teams that everybody predicted before the season to make the Eastern Conference Finals. Now that could change, but that was the prediction. Every, and it was Drew Holiday against the Bucks, his game back in Milwaukee. Like this is a marquee game. Why would you schedule it that way? You're risking that you're going to get a bad product and you got a bad product because a team is playing its fifth game in seven nights. They're playing a back-to-back and they had to travel after the game they previously played. So in some sense, I'm glad that the NBA got burned. And look, this is not me being a pissed Celtics fan. I just want a good product. And this is one of the best regular season games you could have. Like you're looking at all the matchups in the NBA. This is one of the best matchups you can have. These teams have played in the postseason a lot recently, right? And the, like we mentioned, the whole Drew Holiday factor now and the fact that the Bucks are different with Damian Lillard. And you have this setup in terms of the rest situation. To me, it's a bad product that we saw. It was a predictable bad product. And the other thing I would add is it's an embarrassing night for the NBA because the NBA wants to go to a different game. It was OKC in Portland, but that's a 30-point game. So the closest game they could go to was like a Knicks game that was like a 27-point game. So to me, I don't have any empathy for the league whatsoever. And I don't know why, if you're doing all this stuff about rest rules and all that, why would you have one of your marquee games with one team having such a big rest advantage? And again, this to me is not even about the Celtics losing. It's about me as a fan of the sport wanting to watch a marquee game. And this is the product we get because of the rest situation. But anyway, so I did want to get to the email stuff. So he was asked about the players being left in the dark about what happened, of course, when the Celtics decided to move on from him. And he said, quote, I would say they lied. They knew some of them knew. And, you know, obviously I could talk to them and they wouldn't share stuff publicly. So who needed to know knew. Okay, so he's saying that the players lied. So Tatum was asked about this. He said some of those private conversations I would want to keep private. It seems like we've all kind of moved on from that. Leave it in the past. Jalen said, we kind of knew what was going on, but then there was like a time when we were hearing speculation that there was more to it or something else. It turned out to be there wasn't anything else than we already knew. Okay, so a couple of things here. We knew that Ime was going to be asked questions about this, and I'll get to another answer I thought that he had that was very insightful. But this to me, I thought it was unfair to Tatum and Jalen to have to be asked about this, right? Like this is a year and a half old at this particular point in time. And I get why it's Ime's first game back at the Garden. But 
We know the Celtics, going back to when this whole situation was playing itself out, they had to be very careful about what they put out there because of the legal ramifications of everything, right? Like they had to talk to lawyers about this situation. And the players, they all said great things about Ime, right? And remember, when they answered questions at that first media day when Missoula took over, they did feel like at that time, it felt like they didn't have all the details. And for good reason, right? Like I, getting back to the legal ramifications. So I would just point to the fact that this was bad enough and crossed the point because I don't know the details, right? You don't know the details, but it was bad enough and it crossed the line to the point where the Celtics as an organization had to move on from Ime. And we all saw Brad's press conference, right? When Brad gave the press conference about them moving on from Ime and how upset he was. So, and it was also a situation that they felt like they had to keep a very small group in terms of who actually knew what was going on because, as we mentioned, the legal ramifications. So no one in that organization, right, wanted to move on from Ime. Like, they had just gone to the NBA Finals. Their two best players were pre-prime. But then when this you get presented with this information, if you're the Celtics organization, you feel like based on your findings, you have to move on from Ime for what transpired. So... It to me, like him answering the question the way he did, where the players knew, it's like now you're putting the players on the spot again. They've already answered a ton of questions about this. Jalen has spoke so highly about Ime going back to last year when the Brooklyn Nets were going to hire him. Marcus Smart has spoken very highly of Ime. Jason Tatum has called him his favorite coach. So I just felt like that was weird that he answered the questions that way, like they they knew. And maybe he just meant like they knew enough of what was going on. They didn't know all. I, I don't know exactly what he meant, but I, I just felt like that answer. I, I didn't appreciate that answer from Ime. And if, look, I know Jalen and Jason Tatum, they both love him, but I feel like then they have to answer questions. But I just I thought that was unfair. But anyway, so look, Ime was great for the development of this team. He's a great coach and he's been a big influence for a lot of the players. And I'll get to that in a second. But I just thought he sort of left those guys out to dry there. And I thought Tatum and Jalen both handled themselves well, but Ime put them on the spot after they had supported him for so long. So I did think that was a bit unfair. And maybe they don't even think it's unfair. I just, I just personally thought it would. Uh, it was unfair. Now, he did say this. For me, the biggest thing I would say is overall is letting some people down for sure. But we've talked about it. And I've seen a lot of these people throughout the summer and talked regularly. And so we've moved past it. Okay, so he did like acknowledge and he's spoken about this in the past before too. It's just, this is the first time he spoke in Boston, right? So he did acknowledge that he let a lot of people down and all that. So I thought that was insightful. And then I thought this is interesting from Jalen after the game. He said, I think Ime was great for us because we were kind of used to playing in Brad's system. And Ime, when he came about, he made the system kind of around us. It was like, see a play, make a play. And he kind of designed everything around what we did or do best, and he kind of empowered us to make more decisions, stuff like that. So it was great for our development and things like that because we were used to Brad, who would kind of think the game for us. Okay, so I don't know exactly what Jalen means X's and O's wise here, but maybe he's saying Brad was more hands-on with, hey, if you see this, your read is going to be this, and Ime would sort of say, hey, just make the play, right? So maybe that's what Jalen's talking about. The other thing I would mention is Will Hardy was here too. Of course, Ime's a defensive guy, so Will Hardy had a lot to do with what was going on with this team as well during that point. And so honestly, though, I would say the two biggest things for me that Ime did. So, I mean, it's great that Jalen feels like, and maybe Tatum feels the same way, that Ime definitely had a huge, 
huge role in the development of both players. But this is what I'll say is like, I feel like the two biggest things Ime did when he was the Celtics head coach, one was a motivational thing and one was a scheme thing. So let's start with the motivational thing. Remember he told Tatum, these guys aren't your friends. They aren't your older brother. He just needs to go at them. That's what Ime said he told Jason Tatum about like other star players, older star players in the league. So this was like a message to Tatum. Hey, don't treat these guys like they're better than you. You should be competing with them. You should be better than them. You should be the all NBA guy, right? And Tatum then destroyed Kevin Durant in the playoffs a couple of weeks later, a couple of weeks later. So I thought that that was the biggest thing that Ime did for Jason Tatum was, hey, stop treating these guys like your friends. Start competing against these guys. So that was the big thing. It was like an attitude shift with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with Ime. And then the other thing I would say, the scheme thing, and Ime's the head coach, so he gets the credit for this, and he's the defensive guy, was the Romer thing, right? Where they said, hey, we're going to take Rob off a big guy, have Al cover the big guys, and Rob as the Romer, where he could just be like a free safety blocking shots. And that turned the Celtics that season after the new year into by far the best defense in the NBA. It wasn't even close. So those two things to me. So when Jalen says that stuff about empowering them, when I think to Ime's biggest contributions, it was not catering to Tatum and Jalen, not being afraid to call them out. He did that on multiple occasions, challenging them. And then eventually what he said to Tatum about, don't let these guys be your friends. And then the scheme thing that he did with Rob. That to me, those were like the biggest contributions I saw from Ime as the head coach. And he was a great coach of this team, no doubt about it. I did want to mention Jalen real quickly before we go, because in that game against the Rockets, he goes for 32, 11 of 15 from the floor, north of 73% that is from the field. And that was against a good defense. Now, they were not a good defense on Saturday night, but the sixth ranked defense in the NBA. He also had that pin of Jabari Smith where now he did like Jabari Smith did cut in front of him. So he had to make up ground, but he had that unbelievable block and he's flexing after. So Jalen has been awesome. So if you look at what's changed with Jalen, the first 17 games, he averaged 21.9, the last 20, 24.7. So he's up almost three points per game. If you look at his field goal percentage, in the first 17, it was 45.2%. In the last 20, it's 53.5%. So basically 8.3 percentage points in terms of the jump there. If you look at the three-point numbers, 34.4% on 7.2 attempts. This is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's actually shooting 39.4% from deep over his last 20 games. But the attempts are way down. The attempts are down from that 7.2 number to 5. So he's taking less threes. He's taking more twos. In his first 17 games, he took 11.2 attempts from two-point land, 52.1%. Over his last 20 games, that number is up to 12.8, and the percentage is way up to 59%, and then that means more points in the paint. The first 17, he's at 9.2 points in the paint per game, which was 43rd. His last 20 games, he's at 12.2 points per game in the paint, 18th. So he's up three points per game in terms of the points in the paint, and the other thing that has helped him is his mid-range numbers are through the roof. Jalen was an outstanding mid-range shooter last year. I talked about it a bunch on the pod, and now those numbers have gotten back to an elite level. So this is via cleaning the glass. The last 20 games for Jalen, 79 of 150 from the mid-range, 52.7% that is. That's in the 95th percentile. So he's been legitimately one of the best mid-range shooters in the league over the last 20 games. The first 17, that number was 40 of 94, 42.6% on mid-rangers, 58th percentile. So we're talking about 
a jump of more than 10 percentage points in terms of his mid-ranger. So he's hitting his mid-ranger, he's taking less threes, and he's actually shooting the three better, but he's taking less, and he's getting into the paint more. These are why Jalen's numbers are perking up. You also look at since the start of December, little metric man stat for you here, players that are shooting 53% from the floor and taking at least 15 shots per game, because I'm not going to go with guys that are taking four or five shots a game, but guys taking high volume, 15 shots, shooting at least 53%. Here are the guys that are doing that right now. Joel Embiid, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Giannis, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, and Jalen Brown. So a pretty good group that Jalen's with right now. Like all those guys, with the exception of Siakam, are going to make an all-NBA team. I guess Durant, you could argue like maybe he gets hurt, but those guys are like all all NBA caliber players. So this was the last thing that the Celtics needed to get right. And we've seen it now for a 20-game stretch where Jalen, you could argue he's playing the best basketball of his career. I think I would make that argument, actually. And you look at it. So White had been slumping since the Reddick podcast. We joked about that last week. But he did go 3-5 of from deep on Saturday. Porzingis has been so awesome for this team this year. We've talked about that. Tatum has been Tatum. Holiday has been incredible defensively in the ways they can use him on different matchups. It allows you to do other things that we've gotten into. Like, all this stuff was working. The last thing after the first 17 games or so, like I said, was, hey, what's going on with Jalen? Like, Jalen doesn't feel comfortable, right? Like, that was a talking point early on the season. Well, now Jalen has taken his game to a totally different level. And now it feels like the team is at a totally different level because of Jalen. It just felt like Jalen took some time to him to get used to, hey, where am I getting my touches? Where am I getting my baskets? What am I doing offensively? What am I doing when I don't have the ball? I feel like he's been much better defensively. I mentioned the block. He's been much better defensively this year than he was a year ago. So this is sort of like we talk about all these things, how important Porzingis is, and he's very important, how great Derek White's been and the all-star campaign he's having, how great Jason Tatum is, and the fact that Drew Holiday changes so many things you can do defensively. But having Jalen be like a legit superstar, again, this is a major development for the Celtics, and he's been awesome. Like, His physicality has been overwhelming teams over the past 20 games. Like, he's just too big, he's too strong, and he's too athletic right now. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. 
Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 